is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. The DNA, the fingerprints, they're all over the place now. The Biden administration makes stunning admission on climate agenda in a leaked internal memo, writes Thomas Katak, uh, whatever, at foxnews.com. Biden administration acknowledged in a memo, accidentally leaked really a few hours ago, they're charging fossil fuel companies less to drill would provide, quote, Greater energy security, unquote, despite its plans to hike royalty fees. Former Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, BOEM, BOEM Director, Amanda Lefton, recommended late last year that, as part of the climate agenda, the Department of Interior move forward with higher royalty fees for an oil and gas lease sale spanning almost a million acres in the Cook Inlet off the Alaska coast, according to the memo obtained by Fox News Digital. Department of Interior Assistant Secretary Laura Daniel Davis ultimately signed off on the recommendation. Quote, if a Cook Inlet prospect would be developed, there would be additional government revenues and greater energy security for the state of Alaska, especially if development of natural gas resources in the Cook Outlet ameliorated the long-term supply challenges facing the Anchorage area, left and wrote in the memo. Nevertheless, Because of the serious challenges facing the nation from climate change and the impact of greenhouse gases from fossil fuels, Bohm is not recommending this option since it would not include an appropriate surcharge to account for those impacts. The news here is that the Biden administration knowingly chose their climate, activism, ideology, and agenda over American national security. It's right here, in black and white, in an accidentally leaked internal memo. Daniel Davis stated in her record of decision, published in November, after she signed off on Lefton's recommendation, that she elected a fee of 18.75%, quote, because this rate constitutes the most reasonable balancing of environmental and economic factors, 
for the American public. She didn't mention the alternative would produce greater energy security, as highlighted in her memo. Boehm ultimately held the auction, known as Lease Sale 258, on December 30. The sale garnered just one bid, worth $63,983, for a single 2,300-acre track, according to federal records. That is, the royalty figure was so high, nobody could get involved. It was almost 20 cents on the dollar, assuming, assuming it would become productive. In May, the White House canceled lease sale 258, which had been proposed under the Trump administration in an unexpected decision that was promptly criticized by the fossil fuel industry and Republican lawmakers. However, the Inflation Reduction Act mandated that the administration reverse decision and hold the sale by the end of 2022. So what did they do? They held the sale, but they jacked up the royalty fee. The Department of the Interior mistakenly posted an internal memo this one I've just read from, making recommendations to Assistant Acting Assistant Secretary for Land and Minerals Management, Laura Daniel Davis, on the Cook Inlet Oil and Gas Lease Sale 258, mandated by the Inflation Reduction Act. Senator Joe Manchin, who helped author the IRAD, said in a statement today, I am appalled by its contents, which make crystal clear that this administration is literally pointing their radical climate agenda ahead of the needs of the people of Alaska and the United States. Manchin blasted the administration for ignoring Congress's intent and seemingly pandering to environmental groups at the expense of shoring up American energy security and keeping America safe. He said the contents of this memo speak volumes. If this is what this administration truly believes and is how they are going to make decisions, it's unacceptable. It's a clear and intentional threat to energy security, and the all-of-the-above energy policy Congress has consistently reinforced. I will not support anyone who agrees with this type of misguided reasoning. But you voted for it, moron. Why would you trust Biden and his group of 3,000 Marxists? That's how many political appointees he has. Isn't it abundantly clear what their agenda is? To destroy American citizenship and, and the border? To destroy our currency? To destroy the capitalist system? To destroy the minds of our children? Isn't it abundantly clear what they're up to? To destroy energy independence where they have succeeded? How many more examples do we need? Now here it is in black and white. DNA and fingerprints all over it. That they knew they were making a decision that was intended to sabotage this lease that had been approved by Trump and his administration. They knew what they were doing. And of course, they did it in the name of climate change. It's quite remarkable, America. But we have another breaking story, Mr. Producer. Here it is, an exclusive. Steve Nelson at the New York Post. Hunter Biden advised Joe's office on answering Burisma queries. That's Burisma queries, emails say. The second son of Hunter Biden coached then-Vice President Joe Biden's press secretary on how to respond to media questions about him joining the board of Ukrainian natural gas company Burisma Holdings, emails reviewed by the New York Post show. 
The May 13, 2014 exchanges between Hunter and Kendra Barkov. Remember her? Remember her? Biden's right-hand Ms. Fixit, which have not been previously reported from the basis of a complaint sent to the Justice Department on Friday alleging that the Biden scoin, now 53, violated federal law by failing to register as a foreign agent. That's the least of it. America First Legal General Counsel Gene Hamilton wrote to the Assistant Attorney General for National Security, that loathsome thug, Matthew Olson, quoting the relevant statute, he says, in advising the office of the Vice President how to respond to press inquiries about his appointment, Hunter Biden represented the interests of a foreign principal before any agency or official of the government of the United States. Burisma announced Hunter Biden's appointment to its board. On May 12, 2014, the following day, according to the complaint, Barkov sent Hunter an email saying, thanks for talking to me. Let me know who I should refer folks to. What exactly are they asking, Hunter responded. For the time being, I just refer them to my office. FYI, I joined the board of Burisma Holdings, an independent private natural gas producer in Ukraine, along with the former president of Poland. I think the press release is on their website. Barkov right-hand gal to Mr. Idiot, that would be Joe, then forwarded Hunter an email from Max Seddon, then a foreign correspondent at BuzzFeed News. Russia state media is loving the press release, supposedly from a Cypriot-held Ukrainian natural gas company, claiming that the vice president's son has joined the board of directors, Seddon wrote, addressing this National Security Council spokes idiot Lara Lucas Magnuson, who had forwarded it to Barkov. The news seems rather odd on its face and if true would present a fairly glaring conflict of interest given the vice president's role on Ukraine policy, particularly since the company is controlled by Nikolai Zlochevsky, who was energy minister and deputy NSC chief under the former pro-Moscow Ukrainian president Viktor Yankankov. The reporter added, is this true? What exactly is going on here? Interesting, Hunter wrote back. Burisma is completely independent of the Ukrainian government with an independent board of directors. Zavinsky served as Minister of Ecology and resigned in 2010. I joined the board as legal advisor, and Burisma also engaged the law firm to which I am counsel, the, the boy Schiller Flexner, on matters pertaining to the corporate governance, transparency, and expansion. In addition to forwarding Seddon's questions, Barkov told Hunter, let me know who in your office to refer the media to. So she's coordinating out of the vice president's office regarding Burisma with Hunter Biden. But nobody told Joe. Joe didn't know anything about any of the business dealings. No. Mr. 10%, the big guy. If anything beyond referring questions to my office is required from you or counsel, you can contact Heather King at Boyce Show. Hunter directed Barkov, who later sent him the statement her office was putting out to the press. Hunter Biden is a private citizen and a lawyer, read the statement, which apparently met with Hunter's approval. Quote, the vice president does not endorse any particular company and has no involvement with this company. For any additional questions, I refer you to Hunter's office. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, America. Remember? I gave that son of a you-know-what, the prosecutor. In Ukraine, I told him, 
You've got whatever, five hours, five minutes. I told the government of Ukraine to fire the prosecutor. Or you wouldn't be getting that billion dollars. Oh, what kind of a message was that? Apparently not impeachable. Apparently not worthy of a special counsel. The America First Legal Foundation complaint also noted that Hunter wrote Barkoff on June 26 to tell her, I'm really sorry, but I have to cancel the call today, suggesting according to the organization. He had ongoing discussions about the matter with the office of the vice president. That continued for nearly a month and a half. AFL, founded by Stephen Miller, a former, you know who he is, he's a friend of ours, claimed a discussion with Barkov showed Hunter Biden is permissive Asian and, su- and subject to far regulation because he was an officer of Burisma, represented Burisma. You know, they threw the book at guys that worked for Trump. They charged them with this stuff. They got a special counsel looking. What the hell's taking so long? What's taking so long? Leftist prosecutors went after Paul Manafort. Do you remember that? Feel bad for what they did to that man. The statue was notably used in 2018 to indict former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort. Remember that, America? Remember that? Remember he was put in solitary confinement by an Obama judge? Remember all that, folks? But there is Hunter Biden painting. Well, not really painting. Making a fortune off of... You know how they had those elephants painted the zoo, Mr. Producer, with their trunks? They'd give them a brush and they would paint some stuff and then they would sell it. That's kind of Hunter Biden. He sticks things up his nose, paintbrush, whatever, and then they sell the paintings. Leftist prosecutors gave Paul Manafort the functional equivalent of a life sentence for providing real counsel to the Ukrainian government based on decades of experience as a top political advisor. Stephen Miller told the Post, Hunter Biden was acting as a foreign agent, peddling his family name with no legitimate experience whatsoever. And yet the DOJ apparently could care less. Corruption piled on top of corruption, he said. The documents we obtained from the National Archives make clear that Hunter Biden violated the Foreign Agents Registration Act. Therefore, he must be held fully accountable under the law. And AFL has filed a formal fire complaint with the DOJ to initiate the process. It's also essential the DOJ investigate Joe Biden's conclusive scheme, that is, collusive scheme, with his son and the pay-to-play scandals that have enriched the Biden family. How many more breadcrumbs do they need? How many more breadcrumbs do they need? Hunter worked very closely with his father, worked very, very closely with the father's top aides. On his business deals, Mr. Big, Mr. 10%. Why is the FBI collectively pretending they're Helen Keller here? Why is that? Too many resources applied to parents who protest school boards? Too many resources applied to SWAT teams that go after pro-lifers? Too many resources applied to Donald Trump? Too many resources applied to people who paraded and trespassed on the Capitol grounds? Is that it? They need more resources? No, they need less corruption. The Biden family is thy name. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
I want to tell you about something to help you protect your retirement. People are worried about the economy because 2022 didn't go very well. For one thing, there's the crazy spending and debt created by Biden and the Democrats. That huge debt affects your savings, especially pensions, IRAs, and 401ks. It's one reason Americans get gold IRAs, to protect their hard-earned savings. Well, here's a company I trust to help you with a gold IRA, Augusta Precious Metals. What makes Augusta Precious Metals different? tell you not to buy a gold IRA if it's not right for you. If you've saved $100,000 or more, save for your IRA or your 401k, sign up for a one-on-one web conference to schedule call 877-4-GOLD-IRA. That's 877-4-GOLD-IRA, 877-4-GOLD-IRA. If you have a financial professional, obviously talk to them before making an investment decision. Visit AugustaPreciousMetals.com and check out the risk disclosures as well. I will be uh, attending the CPAC conference tomorrow, Saturday. Uh, I will be there with my lovely wife, Julie. Hope to see you folks there, those of you who are in the area. Be a great pleasure. So I will be at CPAC tomorrow, Saturday. I don't do a lot of these public events, but I think it's important to see as many young conservative activists as possible. And um, we've got more here. FBI whistleblower claims agency forced him to juice domestic terrorism numbers. This isn't the first time we've heard this. How so thoroughly and disgustingly corrupt the Federal Bureau of Investigation, a.k.a. the American Stasi is, under Meritless Garland and his gang of thugs and and hacks. The radicals from the Deputy Attorney General to the Assistant Attorney General for Civil Rights to the Assistant Attorney General for the Criminal Division, the head of the Public Integrity Section, the Associate Attorney General, every damn one of them is a radical left-wing Obama-like kook. And you can see this, where they're pressuring the FBI to go after Trump when the FBI is saying, you know, we don't really want anything. Yes, you will, and you'll do what we tell you to do. We'll be right back. I want to tell you about something to help you protect your retirement. People are worried about the economy because 2022 didn't go very well. For one thing, there's the crazy spending and debt created by Biden and the Democrats. That huge debt affects your savings, especially pensions, IRAs, and 401ks. It's one reason Americans get gold IRAs, to protect their hard-earned savings. Well, here's a company I trust to help you with a gold IRA, Augusta Precious Metals. What makes Augusta Precious Metals different? tell you not to buy a gold IRA if it's not right for you. If you've saved $100,000 or more, save for your IRA or your 401k, sign up for a one-on-one web conference to schedule call 877-4-GOLD-IRA. That's 877-4-GOLD-IRA, 877-4-GOLD-IRA. If you have a financial professional, obviously talk to them before making an investment decision. Visit AugustaPreciousMetals.com and check out the risk disclosures as well. 
The Great One. The Great One, Mark Levin. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. The Daily Caller, FBI whistleblower, claims agency forced him to juice domestic terrorism numbers. Now, why would they do that? Sarah Weaver reporting, an FBI whistleblower told the House Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government that the FBI had him divide up domestic terrorism cases to juice the number. FBI agent Garrett O'Boyle of the Kansas City Field Office claimed the agency had him divide one domestic terrorism case into four different cases, Fox News reported. Dividing cases of domestic terrorism into multiple subdivisions allowed the FBI to go to Congress and say, Look at all the domestic terrorism we're investigating, O'Boyle said. Where really I was working on just one case. But the FBI can then say, well, he actually had four. And so we need you to give us more money because look at how big of a threat all this domestic terrorism is. The whistleblower also said that the FBI created a threat tag to deal with the leak of the Supreme Court's opinion in the Dobbs decision uh, that was then shifted to focus on pro-lifers. The threat tag, which was called Threat SCOTUS 2022, was created to deal with the threats against Supreme Court justices, which are a federal crime. Agent O'Boyle said the threat tag was then shifted and began focusing on pro-life adherence, quote-unquote. Quote, when this threat tag came out, it was like, why are you focusing on pro-life people? O'Boyle said in a transcript of the interview, which Fox News reviewed, it's pro-choice people who are the ones protesting or otherwise threatening violence in front of the homes of Supreme Court justices. The FBI did not immediately respond to the Daily Caller's request for comment. And remember that when Ted Cruz was grilling Meritless Garland and said, how many people have you prosecuted in violation of this, this 18 U.S.C., I think it's 1507? None. Not one. And now we know why. Because this whistleblower tells us why. They changed the focus. They used this to attack pro-lifers who had nothing to do with it. Instead of pro-aborters. Or I should say pro-deathers. Why don't we ever use that phrase? But the FBI is not the only organization that's playing with the statistics. And it's very unfortunate. Anti-Semitism in the United States, and you know I've talked about this on multiple occasions is on a significant rise. And it's very, very dangerous. And synagogues are now having to arm themselves or have security because of the threats they're facing. Uh, It's true. But here's a piece from John Lott. John Lott is truly one of the great patriots and researchers. And here's a piece from John Lott in The Federalist. And it's about the Anti-Defamation League's numbers. And the Anti-Defamation League does a great disservice to America and the Jewish community when it operates on behalf of Democrats and Joe Biden. Because the, the more recent head of the Anti-Defamation League was a special assistant to Barack Obama. And he runs the Anti-Defamation League like he was a former special assistant to Barack Obama. He embraces critical race theory. What he doesn't do is fight true, true 
you know, threat to the Jewish community because he's way too politicized. And John Light writes, if there's a theme to extremism-related murders, it's environmentalism. What? Relying on a new report from the Anti-Defamation League news headlines claim all 25 U.S. extremism-related murders last year were linked to right-wing extremists, quote-unquote. The report received wide, uncritical coverage from outlets in the U.S., such as the Associated Depressed, and worldwide in Cana, Canada, the U.K., India. But the ADL's report is fatally flawed. It assumes that every racist is automatically a, quote-unquote, right-winger. And by that, they mean a conservative. For example, 10 of the 25 extremist murders last year were by Peyton Gendron in Buffalo. But he was anything but a, quote-unquote, right-winger. The Buffalo killer was yet another mass murderer motivated by what? Environmentalism. In his write-up explaining his attack, the Buffalo mass murderer labeled himself an eco-fascist national socialist. An eco-fascist national socialist, quote-unquote. And part of the, quote, mild-moderate authoritarian left. Again, quote, Mild, moderate, authoritarian, left, unquote. So how do you get right-winger out of that? He worried minorities have too many children, and that damages the environment. Quote, the invaders are the ones overpopulating the world, he wrote. Quote, kill the invaders, kill the overpopulation, and by doing so, save the environment, unquote. Gendron hated capitalists, whom he believed were destroying the environment, and were at the root of much of the problem. And overpopulation is hardly a core conservative issue. When did you hear a conservative politician calling on people to have fewer children? And while some Republicans support limiting international trade, it's not for environmental reasons. Anderson Lee Aldrich in Colorado Springs accounted for five more of these 25 murders. His attack occurred at an LGBTQ plus bar. The ADL report notes that he hosted a, quote, white supremacist website, which people falsely identify as right-wing, meaning conservative. But the report conveniently leaves out that the murder is non-binary, quote-unquote, and uses the pronouns they and them on his website, hardly something done by most conservatives. All the other ten murders were criminals who killed one person each. While some of them were, quote-unquote, white supremacists, again, that doesn't make them right-wing or conservative. One of the murders may have been right-wing, but ADL says it doesn't count that murder as ideological. And it was a husband killing his wife. Another was in the midst of a family dispute. In another case, a man allegedly involved in the January 6th Capitol riot appears to have killed a woman while trying to commit suicide. And then one murder was clearly directed at left-wingers. In other words, unfortunately, the ADL has made a habit of misclassifying these murders. Another notable example in 2019 was the El Paso Walmart mass murder, Patrick Crucis, who killed 23 of 49 people that the ADL classifies as murdered by extremists that year. The New York Times and other news outlets may describe the El Paso murder as having, quote, echoed the incendiary words of conservative media stars, unquote, who have spoken out against illegal immigration. But his anti-immigrant views were rooted in his environmental beliefs and were identical to those of the Buffalo murderers. For example, he wrote in his manifesto, quote, 
The decimation of the environment is creating a mass burden for future generations. The next logical step is to decrease the number of people in America using resources. If we can get rid of enough people, then our way of life can become more sustainable. He blamed companies for destroying the environment. Quote, corporations also like immigration because more people means a bigger market for their products. He explicitly disassociated himself from President Donald Trump. Just like the mass murder in the Pittsburgh synagogue. He despised Donald Trump, but they tried to tie Trump to it. Both Crucis and Genron, who killed so many people, made minorities their principal target. But they've done so out of a crazy environmentalist determination to reduce the human population by whatever means necessary. This echoes politicians on the left, not the right. The corporate media and politicians who constantly warn about the world's imminent end can't bring themselves to acknowledge the environmentalist connection, even though climate activists time and again agree that overpopulation is part of the problem. Quote, it does lead, I think, young people to have a legitimate question. Is it okay to still have children? Said Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in 2019. She also warned that, quote, the world will end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. Similarly, Biden fans the flames of alarmism when he claims that, quote, climate change poses an existential threat to our lives. This is code red. The Crime Prevention Research Center, of which I am head, tracked 82 mass public shootings from January 1998 to May 2021. And it found only seven have known or alleged ties to any of the following, white supremacists, neo-Nazis, or anti-immigrant groups. Where there is a push by Biden and others to make the right seem like a threat to public safety, that is conservatives. 73% of mass public shooters have no identifiable political views. None. The Anti-Defamation League and much of the corporate media are intent on construing any racist as a conservative right-winger. But they aren't. And if there's any ideological cause that is sparking violence, it's environmental and socialist extremism. Oh my. No wonder they hate John Lott. Oh my. I'm calling on the head of the Anti-Defamation League to step down, to resign. His name is Greenblatt. He's a disgrace to that organization and its mission. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I want to tell you about something to help you protect your retirement. People are worried about the economy because 2022 didn't go very well. For one thing, there's the crazy spending and debt created by Biden and the Democrats. That huge debt affects your savings, especially pensions, IRAs, and 401ks. It's one reason Americans get gold IRAs, to protect their hard-earned savings. Well, here's a company I trust to help you with a gold IRA, Augusta Precious Metals. What makes Augusta Precious Metals different? They'll 
they'll tell you not to buy a gold IRA if it's not right for you. If you've saved $100,000 or more, save for your IRA or your 401k, sign up for a one-on-one web conference to schedule call 877-4-GOLD-IRA. That's 877-4-GOLD-IRA, 877-4-GOLD-IRA. If you have a financial professional, obviously talk to them before making an investment decision. Visit AugustaPreciousMetals.com and check out the risk disclosures as well. God, did you see that one story, Mr. Producer? Where there was this school. It's on the blaze. And they have it on video. Did you see this? And these older black kids round up these younger white kids. Looks to be like either a basketball court. I think it's a baseball field. And, of course, nobody sees them, but there is a video. And um, they force these kids to say things in support of Black Lives Matter, to get on their knees, to bow. Those that try and run away and resist, they're beaten. And they're tackled. And they're dragged back to where they had run from. Or ran from, I should say. And now the sheriff's office is involved. And let me tell you something. This to me is what critical race theory ultimately leads to. When you, when you're using a classroom, the authority of a teacher, and when government is sanctifying racism and hate, you're going to get more racism and hate. That's what's going to happen. And given the propaganda that's pushed by critical race theory and these teachers' unions and all the rest, I greatly fear an increase in in violence, in racial violence, among and between races. Because this is what the Marxist wants. But when you watch this video, it's frightening. There are other videos out there, but these kids were abused. Abused. So that is, uh, that is problematic. And now law enforcement has to get involved and is getting involved. Because it's right there on the video. I haven't heard anybody talk about this. Have you, Mr. Producer? The video hasn't been played on CNN and MSNBC. Hasn't been played on NBC, ABC, or CBS. <clears throat> no comment, comments from uh, our bigot-in-chief in the Oval Office. Uh, no comments from Joy Reid or the morning schmo. And Mr. No comments from anybody. I'll be right back. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. 
is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number eight. 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. What are you doing Sunday night around 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the East Coast? 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the West Coast? All kinds of times in between? Central Time would be 7 p.m. I hope you're going to watch Life, Liberty, and Levin. Another killer show. Because that's what I try to do for you. That's what we try to do for you. Two guests. Um, We're going to dig very deeply into the lab. And we're going to dig very deeply into other things. So we're going to have Byron Donalds on with us. The first time Byron Donalds was on Fox in any significant way was on Life, Liberty, and Levin. We introduced him to the American people. He's fantastic. Uh, the same goes with Nicholas Wade. Nicholas Wade, who was the first scholar to point to the lab. So, there's also my opening statement, which I think you'll enjoy. So, we very much look forward to you joining us. It's this Sunday, there's no football, there's no this, there's no that. And of course... If you're not in front of the TV at that time, if you're not appointment television, please go to your DVR and set it for my show, Life, Liberty, and Levin. We'd love to have, you know, we have almost a half a million people who do that with their DVR, 400 to 500,000 people. Now, Nicole Hannah-Jones was on NBC, the Today Show. They were promoting her Hulu special. On the 1619 Project, her docu-series, 1619 Project is a fraudulent project that was heavily financed and backed by the New York Times. Uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones got a Pulitzer Prize. She's not a historian. There are books out that go chapter and verse, all the mistakes in history. When she wrote this piece, uh, she wasn't the only one. There were other contributors. But in her case, there wasn't a single reference or footnote or anything else. And so much of what she says is nothing more than an attempt to rewrite American history. Meanwhile, one of the great historians and scholars out there is a gentleman by the name of Peter W. Wood. And some time ago, he wrote a response to her in 2022... Updated in 2022, he actually wrote it in 2020, called the 1620, or just called it 1620, the year after 1619, a critical response to the 1619 project. Peter Wood was not on the Today Show on NBC to respond to Nicole Hannah-Jones. Peter Wood is not invited on any shows to respond to the 1619 project. Now why is that? You know why it is, and I know why it is. But he was on my program some time ago, in 2020, 2021. And this is what's going on in our classrooms. And he says, 
became clear that the 1619 Project was a lot more than the initial publication of the New York Times Magazine and the newspaper supplement. It was still a project, quote-unquote, in the fullest sense of the term. The Pulitzer Center partnered with the New York Times to plant a 1619 Project curriculum in our nation's schools. Nicole Hannah-Jones, the architect of the project and author of its lead essay, went on a nationwide speaking tour and was met by friendly audiences. The Times not only heavily advertised the project, it seeded themes from the project in hundreds of news stories and columns. It added a podcast devoted to the project. It used its weekly online newsletter, Race Related, to stoke the fire. And given the Times' status as the so-called nation, nation's newspaper record and the lodestar for other news organizations... 1619 Project themes and conceits began to appear everywhere in the nation's press, with or without explicit mention of the project itself. The larger aim of the 1619 Project is to change America's understanding of itself. To change America's understanding of itself. Whether it will ultimately succeed in doing so remains to be seen, but it certainly has already succeeded in shaping how Americans now argue about key aspects of our history. The 1619 Project aligns with the views of those on the progressive left who hate America and would like to transform it radically into a different kind of nation. And such a transformation would be a terrible mistake. It would endanger our hard-won liberty, our self-government, and our, our virtues as a people. Little is to be gained, however, by progressives and conservatives lobbing boulder-sized principles back and forth across the line that divides them. Instead, this book, his book, explores the 1619 Project as a cultural phenomenon. The 1619 Project offers the fullest and most vigorous exposition of the view that America is a racist, oppressive country. Fringe groups of black nationalists take an even grimmer view. But the 1619 Project has taken ideas that a few years ago were exclusively fringe a good way into the realm of mainstream opinion. The idea, for example, that the American Revolution was a pro-slavery event once circulated only among conspiracy-minded activists with comic book-style theories of history. The 1619 Project has brought it from the playground into the classroom to the consternation of serious historians everywhere. Slavery, of course, was not an American invention or a European one. It has existed in human societies for thousands of years. In North and East Africa, slave capture and trading were pursued on an enormous scale by Arabs. When Europeans encountered native kingdoms on the African Atlantic coast, In the 15th century, they discovered slavery as deeply embedded practice. That the Portuguese and the Spanish fostered this practice by creating a market for African slaves in the New World is among the great tragedies of human history. And other European powers eventually joined in perpetuating that tragedy. But by comparison with the Caribbean and South American colonies... The English colonies that would one day become the United States were lightly touched by the slave trade, especially during their first hundred years. The 1619 Project argues to the contrary, that the enslavement of Africans was central to the formation of American social order and the American economy as early as the 17th century. 
Now, the usual way for disputes about history to be resolved is for historians to present their best arguments and their sources in journal articles. Each side can examine the evidence for themselves and hammer out the truth. But the 1619 Project evades this kind of transparency. The lead author, Nicole Hannah-Jones, who makes some of the most audacious claims, cites no sources at all. The project as presented in the magazine contains no footnotes, bibliography, or other scholarly footholds. Uh, 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 yeah, footholds. So, the August 18 New York Times Magazine 2020 presented 36 separately byline contributions. Ten of articles are several pages. One is multiple-page photo essay. Eight are brief articles or sidebars. Seventeen are brief literary works commissioned from black writers by the Times for the project. Not including the photos and the photo essay, there are 40 standalone photographs or artworks of some sort. There's also the cover photo and text, a table of contents, three pages of photos and notes on the contributors, and a pertinent announcement from the Pulitzer Center on the inside back cover. The longer articles have peculiar sentence-like titles. They are as follows, and he looks at the online version. Nicole Hannah-Jones, our democracy's founding ideals of liberty and equality were false when they were written. I'm quoting, black Americans fought to make them true. Without this struggle, America would have no democracy at all. Matthew Desmond, in order to understand the brutality of American capitalism, you have to start on the plantation. Janine Interlandi. Why doesn't the United States have universal health care? The answer begins with policies enacted after the Civil War. Kevin Cruz, a tragic jam in Atlanta would seem to have nothing to do with slavery, but look closer. Jamel Bowie, American democracy has never shed an undemocratic assumption present at its founding, and some people are inherently entitled to more power than others. Linda Villarosa. Myths about physical racial differences were used to justify slavery and are still believed by doctors today. Wesley Morris. For centuries, black music forged in bondage has been the sound of complete artistic freedom. No wonder everybody is always stealing it. Khalil Gibran Muhammad. The sugar that saturates the American diet has a barbaric history as the white gold that fueled slavery. Brian Stevenson. Slavery gave America a fear of black people and a taste for violent punishment. Both still define our criminal justice system. Trimaine Lee, a vast wealth gap driven by segregation, redlining, evictions, and exclusion, separates black and white America. And it goes on. And on and on and on. Now, Nicole Hannah-Jones is a journalist went to the University of Notre Dame, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, for her MA, and so forth. But it's this and worse, is what your children are learning. It's backed by the New York Times, which has promoted all kinds of horrific events in human kind and mankind and has endorsed the wrong side of so many historic battles for freedom 
The New York Times, which has blood on its hands, on its feet, all over its body, for endorsing genocidal regimes and so forth. It's just crazy. And this stuff used to be understood to be the stuff of kooks and crackpots, pseudo-academics, radical Marxists. And now the Today Show on NBC is promoting it. Nicole Hannah-Jones. And then they, they claim in the media that there is no critical race theory being taught to your children. And then when Governor DeSantis, like President Trump, tries to remove it, you know, it doesn't exist, right? And they try to remove it. They're told they're bigots. They don't want to teach African-American history. African-American history is not about Marxism. African-American history is not about sexual transitioning. African-American history is not the ideology that is pushed by the radical left today. They haven't asked people in the African-American community what they think of this. This stuff has come out of the most extreme and radical corners of academia and worse, journalism. Journalism. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Did you know Pure Talk saves the average family over $900 a year when you switch from Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile? That's right. Save $900 a year on your wireless bill and still enjoy ultra-fast 5G service. You can get unlimited talk, text, and plenty of data for just 30 bucks a month. And Pure Talk is so sure you're going to love their service, they're backing it up with a 100% money-back guarantee. So instead of paying a fortune to woke corporations like Verizon, and AT&T or T-Mobile every month, cut your bill in half with Pure Talk, my cell phone company, and then start enjoying the perks like a U.S. customer service team that will make your switch easy, supporting a company that is veteran-owned and shares your values and that has you covered with a money-back guarantee. Go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. that's L-E-V-I-N podcast, to save 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code L-E-V-I-N podcast, Levin Podcast. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Restrictions apply. See site for details. There are a lot of loathsome members of Congress. One of the most loathsome is a new member, or a fairly new member, and his name is Dan Goldman from New York. He's also a pretty dumb guy. So that's why Joe Scarborough brought him on his show today. Joe Scarborough brings on a lot of stupid people because Joe Scarborough's IQ is in the negative territory. It's in the negative quintile. And so Joe tries to bring people on who are stupider than him. So he doesn't look as actually as stupid as he is. So he brings this guy Goldman up. Goldman is a lowlife. So he brings Goldman in. And let's, let's take a check into this. Cut six, go. 
What role is it of FBI field agents to say when anybody is under suspicion of wrongdoing to say, let's just trust them? Because that's what the, these FBI field agents do. So let, 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 let's stop a second. So Joe is wetting himself over that Washington Compost article I read to you in part the other day where FBI field agents, but it wasn't just field agents, because Joe is relatively illiterate, and he does not have a good memory. And they did not want to pull the trigger against Trump. So Joe, being sort of a, well, a tyrant of sorts, a nasty tyrant, who used to love Trump, he and the would-be missus, they turned to Dan Goldman, who most of you have never heard of before. Dan Goldman is like a an inter-thigh rash on the body politic. Is that a good description, Mr. Producer? He's an inner-thigh rash on the body politic. Joe himself being a bleeding hemorrhoid on the body politic. May I say that? That is a little grotesque. But if the uh, fits, so be it. So Goldman has a response, and we're all sitting on the edge of our chairs. What is Dan Goldman? Who? What is Dan Goldman? Who? What does he have to say about this? Oh, my God. Dan, what do you think? Go ahead. Yeah, Joe, as, as you know, I was a prosecutor working alongside the FBI for 10 years. In you the were? He was a prosecutor in the Southern District of New York. I've come to believe everybody was. You know, as you know, Joe, I was a prosecutor in the Southern District of New York, man. I was hot crap, man. Simmering hot crap. There I was. Had to control over life and death, freedom and, and jail time for people, man. Man, was I cool. Go ahead working with that New York field office, and no one would ever have accused uh, the FBI writ large of having a liberal bias. Nobody um, would accuse you of having a liberal bias. Nobody. It's in your imagination. We all know the FBI is filled with right-winger Trump lovers. Should be obvious by now, Joe. I mean, after all, I spent 10 fantastic years as the greatest president of the Southern District of New York. As we like to say, the SDNY. What? Go ahead. There's nothing wrong with, you know, having their own personal political views. I never saw it affect the work that we did together. But the notion that uh, any agents would take uh, for the facts and the truth anything that Donald Trump had done. And even if you just look at this investigation, he had stonewalled the National Archives and the Justice Department for a year so, and a half. Oh, and Joe Biden had... Records from when he was a U.S. Senator. Dan. Nobody would accuse a former federal prosecutor as being liberal like you, would they, Dan? I'm not done with this fool. I'll be right back.
Did you know Pure Talk saves the average family over $900 a year when you switch from Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile? That's right. Save $900 a year on your wireless bill and still enjoy ultra-fast 5G service. You can get unlimited talk, text, and plenty of data for just 30 bucks a month. And Pure Talk is so sure you're going to love their service, they're backing it up with a 100% money-back guarantee. So instead of paying a fortune to woke corporations like Verizon, and AT&T or T-Mobile every month, cut your bill in half with Pure Talk, my cell phone company, and then start enjoying the perks like a U.S. customer service team that will make your switch easy, supporting a company that is veteran-owned and shares your values and that has you covered with a money-back guarantee. Go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. that's L-E-V-I-N podcast, to save 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code L-E-V-I-N podcast, Levin Podcast. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Mark Levin, an unapologetic patriot and unapologetic constitutionalist. You can reach him at 877-381-3811. You know, I want to apologize to you, America. I wasted about two minutes of your life with uh, the morning schmo and this fool, Dan Goldman. You know, Joe, I worked in the Southern District of New York at U.S. Attorney's Office. Yes, obviously the hiring standards are very, very low when a schlub like you gets employed there. But that said, I don't want to waste your time or my time with them now. Not now. There is a uh, very important piece at Real Clear Defense. Real Clear Defense by Robert Peters. Not Jeremy and his Peters, Robert Peters. Jeremy and his Peters work for the New York Slimes, Mr. Producer. And it's about communist China. Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping. Uh, He is consolidating even more power, ladies and gentlemen. Even more. And and he could care less what anybody thinks about it. So he's basically just a, a dictator. Dressed up as, you know, whatever. And this gentleman points out, with the war in Ukraine is teaching the United States anything, it is that great powers can unexpectedly suffer battlefield defeat because expectations and assumptions about their military prowess are outdated. The United States and China may be reaching a similar point where an innovative China outperforms an historically superior United States on a future battlefield, shattering a host of assumptions in the process. This is very upsetting and even depressing, but it's very, very important that you hear this. Some widely held American assumptions include a belief that the Chinese leadership is conflict-averse and fears a war with the United States. Given recent military exercises and statements by Xi Jinping at last October's 20th National Congress, such assumptions are simply no longer valid, if they ever were. A second assumption suggests the United States and its regional allies enjoy overwhelming conventional superiority in the Western Pacific. This is unlikely to be true given China's expansion of its naval forces, its fourth and fifth generation fighters, and the world's largest and most diverse missile force. Now the United States might well assemble a formidable coalition to confront 
Chinese aggression. China's rapid military expansion means it would be touch and go for either side in a conflict. I've been trying to warn people about this. Not so much you folks, but I use this microphone to try and reach people, you know, from different parts of the military and so forth who listen to the show. China still may formally maintain a nuclear no-first-use policy since the time of Mao, but the expansion of its arsenal to include a potential nuclear first-strike capability raises the question of whether this long-held policy remains credible. Many believe it is not. Since its birth, the People's Republic of China, the PRC, has maintained a minimum deterrent, which required a small nuclear force to strike cities and other high-value targets. In recent years, China has expanded and modernized its nuclear forces to include those with theater utility. Indeed, the DF-21, DF-26, and an air-launched ballistic missile are designed specifically for regional missiles. Due to America's lack of theater-range nuclear missiles in Asia outside of the Reagan-era nuclear-tipped air-launched cruise missiles, China enjoys nuclear dominance at the theater level in the Pacific. No question. The final size and shape of China's desired nuclear force is unknown. It is, however, clear that Beijing seeks a diverse and sophisticated arsenal that matches or exceeds ours. This may well include improved and expanded theater nuclear options intended to provide flexible options during a conflict. Such weapons also complement their conventional forces that are designed to deny the United States access to the first and second island chains. Defense policymakers should accept that the current Chinese nuclear expansion may be part of a nuclear coercion campaign designed to cast a credible nuclear shadow over any conflict in which China participates. This is why it's so crucial Iran not get nukes too. Such an expansion would complicate American decision-making should a crisis or conflict erupt. Now it's possible that during the acute stresses of military conflict and during the fog of war, Chinese leaders may believe the U.S. will not respond to nuclear use in a meaningful way particularly if said nuclear employment is against a military target. Such an assumption may or may not be true, but Chinese leadership will perceive their decision as a rational choice to employ nuclear weapons against a military target with little to no civilian effect. There is less of a chance of retaliatory nuclear response. China no longer maintains a no-first-use policy. It is fair to question whether Beijing fears that a conventional conflict with the United States will escalate to nuclear use and whether they believe China losses uh, loses such a conflict, rather. Given Chinese statements, its expansion of its strategic and conventional capabilities and its incursion to the Taiwanese airspace, it is prudent to consider updating our assumptions about the Chinese decision calculus when it comes to a potential conflict with an American-led coalition. Indeed, we should consider the possibility that China views nuclear employment as a rational, though not to say certain or likely course of action, in a high-stakes conflict with the United States. Therefore, the American defense community cannot continue to assume that China will not use nuclear weapons, even if such an employment carries significant risk of escalation. Indeed, Chinese leadership may accept those risks, given the pressures they face to win a conflict with the United States. 
old assumptions about the Chinese arsenal is inferior to the United States and that China maintains a no-first-use policy are no longer valid, what are some alternate assumptions we should consider? Any of the following are plausible. Number one, Chinese believe that Washington fears war with China more than Beijing fears war with the United States. Two, China does not seek a confrontation with the United States, but it may not fear a conflict. Three, Beijing believes that any American-led coalition to defend Taiwan will be brittle and easily fragmented by exploiting the fears of a broader conflict across the Western Pacific. And four, China believes the United States civil society is simply not willing to fight a major war over Taiwan will exert political pressure on the president to limit support to Taiwan. You see this now with respect to Ukraine, by the way. Testing these assumptions short of actual conflict is not possible. But it is possible to posit a plausible scenario to understand how our war may break out and how each side may behave in a conflict. Now imagine a scenario where the People's Liberation Army, the PLA, begins initial efforts at an invasion of Taiwan, during which time the U.S. and other free nations provide large amounts of lethal aid to Taiwan. Once a full-scale invasion begins, the United States, Japan, and Australia publicly declare they will oppose the invasion with military force. In this scenario, the PRC miscalculates American and coalition will and strength. The PLA's initial attempt to land significant amount of ground forces on Taiwan fails. In China, internal pressures to win and terminate the conflict quickly, whatever the cost, mount. Such an eventuality, China believes that employing a nuclear weapon is the best way to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat by demonstrating capability and, more importantly, will. China likely believes the U.S. is hesitant to engage in a limited nuclear exchange far from home, where the stakes are asymmetrical and more important to the PRC. Furthermore, Beijing likely believes Washington's fear of a limited nuclear war escalating into a general nuclear exchange will deter the president from continuing the fight after first nuclear employment. And given China's superiority in the theater-range nuclear systems in the Pacific, this is a reasonable, if not necessarily correct, assumption. <clears throat> is this boring, Mr. Producer? No, I think it's unbelievably important context of a nuclear employment will matter because the United States does not extend its nuclear umbrella over Taiwan. China likely believes that it can employ a nuclear weapon on Taiwanese soil without a high risk of American nuclear response. And Chinese leadership likely doubt that the United States will attract targets on mainland China, attack them with nuclear weapons. Beijing believes the Chinese mainland is a sanctuary and that the United States will not dare strike it in response to a Chinese nuclear strike on a target in the Pacific for fear of triggering reciprocal strikes by the Chinese on the American mainland. If China uses a nuclear weapon against a Japanese ship engaged in combat operations, for example, there's certain to be a vigorous debate within the American political system whether to respond in kind. Some will argue the U.S. should respond with non-nuclear capabilities, while others argue a nuclear response is required to deter follow-on nuclear strike. Can you imagine Biden as president while this stuff's going on? This stuff's swirling around in his pea brain. My God, it's frightening. At the same time, American political leaders will discuss the nuclear endgame. The United States responds with a nuclear weapon. How does a war remain limited and how does it end? And the intensity and length of such a debate is likely to be significant 
will therefore impact allied and partner perceptions. The debate itself may give the PLA breathing room to retake the initiative and achieve its objectives. This guy is sharp. Where there are reasons for China to doubt an American nuclear response, there are operational and strategic advantages for the PRC to employ nuclear weapons. It's possible that Chinese leadership believes that a war for Taiwan is a vital national interest and they cannot lose. Otherwise, the Chinese Communist Party fears regime stability is at stake. It's also possible that they welcome a scenario in which the U.S. comes to the aid of an ally only to be defeated by China, particularly if that defeat is capped with a nuclear detonation that goes unanswered by Washington. There's no greater or more visible signal of China's preeminence in the Pacific. To be sure, in this scenario, China accepts risk by using nuclear weapons to stave off defeat against an American coalition in the Pacific, but Beijing may deem nuclear use less risky than defeat by the Americans. This is particularly true if Chinese leaders convince themselves that the risks of nuclear employment are manageable, unlikely to manifest, or acceptable given the stakes. Admittedly, both the assumptions and scenario posited are speculative, but not far from the reality of current knowledge about Chinese thinking. The United States largely focus on the Ukraine war. It's important to keep an eye on China and prepare for a war that might come. And should it come, long-held assumptions about the efficacy of military power, alliance cohesiveness, and the efficacy our integrated deterrent posture may be tested or even shattered. Given the stakes in a Sino-American conflict, particularly one that includes nuclear employment, we must begin testing such assumptions now. Waiting until it happens is too late. Bob Peters is a senior fellow at the National Institute of Deterrence Studies. Uh, the guy is very, very sharp, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know him, but he's on to something. And when you look at Blinken and Austin, Milley, and when you look at Biden, of course, these are exactly the wrong people to have in these positions right now. You know it, I know it, and the communist Chinese know it. You know it, I know it, and the communist Chinese know it. They are watching our every move with the Ukrainians and the Russians. Our every move. And they're taking notes. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Did you know Pure Talk saves the average family over $900 a year when you switch from Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile? That's right. Save $900 a year on your wireless bill and still enjoy ultra-fast 5G service. You can get unlimited talk, text, and plenty of data for just 30 bucks a month. And Pure Talk is so sure you're going to love their service, they're backing it up with a 100% money-back guarantee. So instead of paying a fortune to woke corporations like Verizon, and AT&T or T-Mobile every month, cut your bill in half with Pure Talk, my cell phone company, and then start enjoying the perks like a U.S. customer service team that will make your switch easy, supporting a company that is veteran-owned and shares your values and that has you covered with a money-back guarantee. Go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. that's L-E-V-I-N podcast, to save 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code L-E-V-I-N podcast, Levin Podcast. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
Reminder, I'll be at CPAC tomorrow, Saturday. Hope you can join us there. Uh, if you're in and around uh, that part of the country. And um, I will be on stage at some point with my lovely wife. And uh, don't forget Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Central. Life, Liberty, and Levin. If you can't watch it live, I hope you can. If you can't watch it, it's perfect, like, way to end your Sunday night, to be honest with you. It's not 15 guests in a, uh, in a conga line. It's a thoughtful discussion. And I know you're going to love this one. But if you can't, you can always uh, set your DVR. And I hope you will if you can't. You can set it now for that. Now, if you set it now, Mr. Producer, you can set it forever that time, right? Just set it one time only. Then you'll even have to think about it. I'd encourage you to do that, too. We're going to have a special guest next hour. And he talks about, and he's a brilliant writer, Lee Smith, writing at the tablet. How the Democrats, just as they do at home and with other countries, they actually try to help topple conservative governments or governments with which they disagree, even though they're democratically elected. They try and help topple them and replace them with governments they prefer. And Lee Smith is pointing out that this is going on right now in the state of Israel. That the Biden administration and the State Department are funding organizations that are creating mayhem and anarchy in that country. Now much of this isn't being reported in the United States about what's taking place over there. But Biden, just like his mentor Obama, is targeting Netanyahu. And they're targeting him at exactly the worst time when they're having to prepare to deal with Iran, which is an eyelash away from having a nuclear weapon. Because this is what Biden does. He's a moron. And so are the people around him. So that'll be one of the things we discuss next hour, among others. So stick with us. We keep the foot on the gas pedal, even though it's Friday, even though hour three's coming upon us. What better way to spend your evening, America? I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. He's here. He's here. 
Now, broadcasting from, from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. It be me. I am Mark Levin. Our number is 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. America, are you awake? Hang in there. Our friends at uh, postmillennial.com, another great site, they have some breaking news. There's new Twitter files. Did you know this today? I'm sure you didn't. Uh, are we still dealing with the uh, Murtaugh trial, Mr. Producer? May I ask the media to move along now? It was a horrific crime. Man's going to serve the rest of his life in prison. Um, can we move on now? They can't get enough of this. It's amazing. Must be helping the ratings. Or I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't really get it, to be honest with you. Um, and then they bring in like half of the lawyers who've ever practiced law to comment on it, you know, and they're all there, uh, pretty much saying the same thing. And I just find the whole thing monotonous with the commentary before the verdict, after the verdict, the sentences, oh my God. Anyway, uh, he was a fantastic witness, they say. The guy was found guilty in two hours, Mr. Producer. Is, is, there, is, is that the Guinness Book of World Records or something? Yeah, I think so. Because he had a video of the guy who lied about where he was uh, before and after the murder of his son and his wife. And the description of the murder is beyond belief. Put a rifle to the back head of his son. His son didn't even see what was coming. Did you read about that, Mr. Producer? Did you you hear what happened? I shouldn't shouldn't say, should I? If people want to, if they, they have a prurient interest, they can go look it up, right? It's pretty horrific. You know, I look at, And I speak for my wife. We look at the kids and the grandkids. And I'll often, you know, hug them, but I'll often, you know, pat them on the head and I think about their beautiful head. Seriously. Beautiful. Flesh and blood. That's what you created with God's will. And to do that to your son. I've, I've wondered why with all the yak yak from all these slip and fall uh, ambulance chasers. What happened to the death penalty? Was that taken off the table or this doesn't apply to this case? I never heard that. Did you, Mr. B- I mean, I could look it up and get a quick answer, but I don't know. Because he deserves the death penalty. Actually, he deserves more. He deserves a slow death. But 
What do I know? New Twitter files show how the U.S. government, that is the Biden administration, used witless disinformation journalists to force Twitter to blacklist users. A faction of the U.S. State Department used its influence to get Americans banned from Twitter under its last ownership. You need to understand something, and most of you do. We've taken such leaps now in towards totalitarianism, it is really unimaginable. And my concern is it's being mainstreamed now. Because the corrupt media just don't find this particularly important. Did you hear this today anywhere? No. A faction of the U.S. State Department used its influence to get Americans banned from Twitter under its last ownership, journalist Matt Taibbi reported. This Matt Taibbi's good. He doesn't like me. He's taking shots at me. Most people do. But, you know, he's doing a good job, I have to say. In a new batch of Twitter files released yesterday, Taibbi said that the taxpayer-funded Global Engagement Center whose mission is to coordinate U.S. federal government efforts to tackle disinformation, was actually helping snuff out users that belong to state-sponsored blacklists. Taibbi shows evidence that the GEC sent Twitter various reports on several topics. They used a guilt-by-association or ecosystem concept. The GEC report on France, quote, attributes membership in the Yellow Vest movement is being Russia-aligned, Twitter's Aaron Rodericks described. GEC's report on China was more entertainment value than anything, said Rodericks. It equates anything pro-China, but also anything against China in, in Italy as part of Russia's strategy. Taibbi revealed how the GEC would send journalists these blacklists, which would then give the journalists a reason to go to Twitter's door and demand to know why this or that ecosystem isn't obliterated. So what they're saying is this faction of the State Department would give this information to journalists who would in turn go to Twitter and make demands. Why is that still up there? Why aren't you stopping them? Why aren't you giving them the scarlet letter? Now, Twitter would end up disagreeing with the GEC's notifications on some occasions, including when it resisted calls regarding Russian disinformation in South America. Twitter Yal Roth was one of the staff that pointed out that the group Alliance for Securing Democracy was back at their old tricks. Going on, but the creator of a Hamilton 68's dashboard. It goes on and on and on. But you get the drift of this. The drift is that an element in our government at the State Department worked over Twitter through journalists, unwitting journalists in this case, to censor individuals and entities it didn't like. And I'm just telling you folks how bad this is, and you know how bad this is. It's just grotesque. And this isn't the only time that they revealed what the government was doing and how it was using these social sites. Now, the Constipated News Network and MSLSD, the New York Slimes, the Washington Compost, and all the rest of them, 
There are other elements of these Twitter files where you can see that a variety of them participated in this process knowingly. In other words, the FBI would kind of meet with or talk to the Twitter guys and the Facebook guys and give them a heads up about Russian trolls, but in many cases it had nothing to do with Russian trolls. They shut down the Hunter Biden laptop. They shut down doctors and scientists and other experts who had contrary views from Fauci and the Biden administration when it came to the pandemic, the virus. A society cannot cannot be a vigorous society, a progressing society, a free society. When people's thoughts and their experiences and their knowledge are shut down because they don't comport with the position of the government. You know, it's amazing, as as inept and incompetent as so many Republicans are, they don't do this. They just don't do it. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Lee Smith, who is a brilliant writer on so many things. Uh, Lee Smith, welcome. You've written a piece in the tablet, Biden Sets Israel on Fire. Our audience, most of them haven't read this. Tell us tell us what your hypothesis is here. Uh, first of all, thanks, Mark, so much for inviting me on to, to speak with you and your audience. Um, Thank you. I, I think if we, if, if we look at all the different things that have been going on, uh, especially on the streets of Tel Aviv and what we see happening in large parts of the uh, Israeli press and the Israeli elites. I mean, it, it, it's exactly the kinds of things we saw in the anti-Trump campaign. I mean, everything from these ridiculous group letters, you know, here here we had it in the United States, uh, 50 former national security officials say that the Biden laptop is Russian disinformation. There, they, there, there, there are things like uh, 75 tech executives or 50 uh, former security officials say that if judicial reforms go on, that they'll, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll boycott or they'll, they'll withdraw their capital or they'll tell, um, they'll tell uh, IDF soldiers not to report for duty. So the basic thing that's going on is it's an anti, it's, a, it's the Get BB campaign just like we saw with the Get Trump campaign, and it's the same people. It's Obama operatives. Obama operatives ran the Trump, uh, ran the anti-Trump operation. Sure, Hillary Clinton's campaign paid for the dossier, but this went through Obama's spy chiefs. It was an Obama operation, and that's what we're seeing here in Israel, too. It's all sorts of Obama operatives. Obama aides, the Obama people who are working in the Biden administration, and they're trying to topple BB just the way they tried to pull down Trump. And of course, we have the Obama aides and senior positions at the Department of Justice as well in the United States. But you also talk about the State Department uh, funding some of these radical left-wing groups in Israel. Explain. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, you know, there there are. Well, I, I think that there's going to be a longer piece that someone else is doing to go through all the numbers, but, uh, you know, I've, I've got these documents in front of me. 
and it shows that the, the Biden State Department is is helping fund is helping fund the organizations that are behind the protest. And you know, this goes back, Mark. I mean, this goes back to 2015. You'll remember the the stories about the State Department then funding an organization called V15, and that's really where the anti-BB infrastructure starts. And again, it's the State Department that's funding. I, I mean, it's insane. They were funding political campaigns to go against BB, uh, to go against BB and his party in the Israeli election. So this goes back to 2015. The other point I make is, you know, the number of different people, like former ambassador to Israel Dan Shapiro, who hung around in Israel after Obama left, which is, you know, bizarre enough. Um, but his purpose there was to help maintain that anti-BB infrastructure and to go around um, war Israelis who were uh, who were tending to get too sympathetic and too appreciative of Donald Trump because of all the things that Donald Trump had done for Israel. And he went around warning them, saying, don't get too close to Trump. You'll see what happens when Democrats come back to the White House. There'll be a price to pay. And then, of course, there was a whole gang of Israeli, former Israeli officials, the so-called uh, Israeli security establishment, who could always be counted on to push at the time, pro-Obama and now pro-Biden talking points. So it, it, it's, it, it's extraordinary. It's, it's very extensive infrastructure. And frankly, for me, it's very sad, not, of course, as sad as it was to see these people poison the United States and um, our information ecosystem and our, um, and our society. But to see them do it in a great country like Israel, an al- a great American life, it's, it's, it's very disturbing. Mr. Medusa, the static I'm getting in my headphones, is the nation hearing that static as well? Good. Okay. Uh, Lee Smith, what is it about BB that drives them nuts? It's because he won't stand down on Iran and he's preparing, if necessary, to attack them militarily, whereas the West, whether it's the Europeans or a Biden administration and Obama before that, were willing to accept a, uh, an Iran with nuclear weapons. Is that the issue? I think they don't. It's not just about accepting an Iran with nuclear issue uh, with uh, with, a, with a nuclear weapons program. It, it is the singular um, Obama foreign policy initiative to make sure that the Iranians have a nuclear bomb. This is part of Obama's grander vision for the Middle East, where he tilts against traditional American allies, especially Israel, but also including Saudi Arabia. And he promotes the Iranians. And I know it seems awfully strange. And Mark, I've got to tell you, whenever people ask me, why is he, why is he doing that? It, it, was, it, was, it, it was a bit of a mystery. But if we looked at what happened during the Trump years, how Obama officials, Obama allies used the media, they used the spy services against Donald Trump, you see right there, and it's, again, tragic for the United States, But you see shared values between the Obama and Biden faction and the Islamic Republic of Iran. This truly is an authoritarian uh, trending toward totalitarian regime. So Iran is very, very important to Obama's not just his foreign policy, but to his worldview, his understanding of how politics should work and what the world should look like. So when we hear a congressman on Joe Scarborough's show 
who worked at the uh, Southern District of New York for 10 years, and he says, you know, I worked with the FBI for a long time. I don't remember them being liberals and so forth. This is just BS, isn't it? Well, I, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know about all the guys who are working, uh, you know, who, who, not exactly walking a beat, you know, but the rent. I mean, we've seen, thank goodness, we've seen a number of whistleblowers step forward. They're disgusted by what's going on. But yes, absolutely, the people in the top ranks, that's how they've advanced. That's how they've advanced through, you know, through their alliances with Democratic Party officials. I mean, watching watching what happened during the, uh, again, during the Trump years, how the FBI, um, how the FBI is basically the sword and shield of the Democratic Party, and not just the FBI, unfortunately. It's also DHS, um, unfortunately, the CIA as well. And, you know, and to see these same people weaponized to go after foreign allies, which is what's happening in Israel, which is what the purpose of State Department activities are in Israel, to go after, uh, after an ally, uh, after an important U.S. ally. Tell the American people what, because it's not being well reported, what is going on in Israel right now? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's very strange to see that the, the few American reports you see, it's talking about, oh, uh, Bibi Netanyahu, this horrible uh, dictator, he's going to turn Israel uh, tyrannical and despotic. There is a problem with Israel's judiciary. It is, it is there the way that the FBI is here in the United States. It is the core of Israel's deep state, the judiciary. The judiciary is used by the Israeli establishment to ensure victory for its fa- for its favorite. It, 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 it is the sword and shield of Israel's elite. Bibi Netanyahu received a mandate in this November election, uh, returning him to the prime minister's seat to reform the judiciary. That's it. The reformed judiciary will look more like the United States with a balance of powers between separate branches. Lee Smith, I want to hold you over. He's written a fantastic article in the tablet. I want to pursue this a little bit further about how the Biden administration, in my view, has uh, unleashed a coup effort against Bibi. We'll be back. On the right. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Lee Smith is a scholar and investigative reporter and author. He's a columnist at Tablet Magazine, and he's got his ear to the ground over there in the Middle East. I want to ask you a question, Lee. Iran's about to have nukes. What's going to happen here? Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, well, the piece concludes um, by saying that um, that the Prime Minister of Israel now sees the game board clearly before him. Uh, he's not he's not going to get much support uh, or any support from the administration. The Biden administration is keen to re-enter the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. Even now, thank goodness Donald Trump put you from. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's the Iranians. The, the Iranians are the ones who are pushing back. Oh, no. If, all, all Iran had to do is say, like, yeah, sure, we'll go back into it. 
But even the UN says they're close and they found this uh, fissile material. It's astonishing. I know. It's astonishing. Here's the important thing that people, because this this debate, this discussion will come up again. Here's the key fact that people need to understand about the Iran deal. Because, again, the Obama people and then the Biden people after them threw out a lot of chaff, uh, a lot of countermeasures so people wouldn't see what's happening. Here's the essential fact of the deal. It does not restrain or limit Iran's program. There are clauses restrictions on iran that will uh, will go away after time these are the sunset clauses at the end <laughs> at the end iran's nuclear weapons program will be fully legal that was the entire point long to legalize iran's nuclear weapons program I just can't bl- I mean, even the U.N. people came in there. First, they were blocked, but they have warned the world that Iran is close. Our intelligence services now have warned the world that they're within days. I mean, if, if Iran gets the nukes, it's not just a problem for Israel, which it clearly is, or the more so-called moderate Arab states, but they'll be able to blackmail us, too. Yeah. Yeah, no? they'll be able to blackmail us. They'll co- they'll, yeah, they'll, they'll blackmail us, and they'll cause lots of problems in the Gulf. I mean, this is what this is perhaps the world's most vitally strategic waterway. And the idea that the Iranians, with the threat of a nuclear weapon, I mean, we're talking about our problems with energy right now because Biden shut down so much of our domestic production, and because of what's going on, uh, what's going on uh, in Ukraine with uh, with Putin. If, 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 and by the way, people need to understand that Putin and Iran are allies. Yes. Right? This, this, is an enor- this is an enormous issue. So the, while, Biden, while the Biden administration is fighting Russia on one hand, on the other hand, they're empowering a Russian ally. It's madness. And as people are starting to see, and this is a huge embarrassment for the Biden administration, but the drones that the Russians are using against Ukraine – these are drones that come from Iran and are based on what? They're based on an American drone that Barack Obama left in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. The Iranians took that drone, and that was the design. And that's what's being used uh, against Ukraine. <laughs> Iranian drones, thanks to Barack Obama. And um, you look at this in a year, in two years, maybe less, maybe more, give or take. You could have Iran with a nuclear weapon. Uh, you uh-huh. could have China invading Taiwan. You could have the war uh-huh. between Russia and Ukraine still going on. You could have an absolute disaster on our hands here. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I worry I, that that's where we're headed. I I, right. I worry that in uh, I worry that they're that they're that are the the people who are supposed to be governing our country are pushing the world in that direction. Mm-hmm. Well, they keep up the great work. It's Lee Smith tablet. Thank you so much, Mark. Great author. What's your last book? Tell everybody. Uh, the last book is the uh, is the Permanent Coup. Uh, uh, published pretty. It's still pretty. Uh, great it's book. Still pretty relevant. We're still watching it unfold. Thanks very much. Sure and Mark. by Thanks the way, are you for bringing me on? Are you working on another book? Um, I am. I've got a couple other projects. Um, you don't have I'm to tell me why. Right I'm now, just curious. They become, yeah. 
No, no, no. Thank you. As they become more developed, I'd I'd love to fill you. So, I mean, I'm working on a long project about U.S. and China. Um, uh, you know, basically, it's it's less about China than it is about the corruption of the American elites, American elites who have betrayed us to the Chinese mm-hmm. Communist Party. You're so right. The ruling class is not only incompetent; it's not even on our side. Uh, Lee Smith, I want to thank you, my friend. Have a great weekend. I thank you, Mark. You too. Thanks again. All right, brother. He's a good man. Good man. I've met him once, maybe twice. Very, very... He's got a... He's very humble. He's a very humble gentleman. Mr. Producer, I haven't had time to bring up the call screen. Do we have any irregular Americans, a.k.a. leftists? We have regular Americans. The great WABC in New York, Alan. How are you, sir? Hey, Mark. How you doing? I'm, I'm a all right. in Queens. Thank I'm you. a blind Levinite in Queens in a hot zone here, run yeah. by Kathy Huck and all this. Listen, <laughs> there's some things I want to discuss with you. No, yes, the wolf sir. is outside my door. The wolf yes. is definitely outside my door, I and I'm bet. scared. Yep. Let me tell you what's going on. Based on the things you told me, I won't go to the hospital, and I think you know why. No. Medicare, Medicaid. Oh, oh uh, you're at the bottom of the line. Yeah, okay, you're at the bottom of the list. Yes. I'm I'm swimming I'm swimming in the I'm swimming in the cesspool and I don't like it. Also, mm-hmm. Hockle is threatening. She is threatening certain home care called CDPAP, Consumer Directed Personal Assistant Program. She wants to slash the money for them. They they're supposed to have demonstrations in Albany and things like that. But you know what? Anything happens to them, Mark, I'm finished. And I'm not trying to oh, exaggerate. Oh my goodness. I'm in a story. Let me ask you a question. With all the money they blow in that state and in that city on illegal immigration, on redistributing wealth, on on and on and on and on, they're going to target this that helps people like you? Well, that's what she's doing. You know, this woman, or should I say female, actually used... Earthing person, uh, past tense. Birthing person, right. She used this birthing person actually used a Baptist church to promote her abortion politics. This is utterly disgusting. Mm-hmm. And to that the fact, I just read I just read American Marxism, by the way. Now I know I don't have a lot of time to speak, so I have to cram everything in, sir. Uh, mm-hmm. I like your BDS approach. Mm-hmm. But my question about the BDS approach is this. Oh, that's chapter I, seven. You really did dig into it. Go ahead. Oh, I have to read it again, because that's a school book. I tell mm-hmm. people, you want to read that book, you need to read it more than once. Uh, I'm getting ready to do tri- Liberty and Tyranny. Anyway, to make a long story short, I yeah. want to ask you, as more and more companies get gobbled up by the CCP, where do we turn? What can I do as a person in my position to help my country? Well, you know, it's interesting. There's more and more sort of boutique companies, little businesses, that are not gobbled up by the Communist Chinese Party, and you can seek them out. Um, It's just like in the media. There are platforms out there that are competing against uh, the big corporatists, and I find out whether it's clothing, uh, the local grocery store, stuff like that. So they are out there, and uh, there's a lot of opportunities for more of them, but they are out there, and I would assume in New York they're, they're they're more prevalent and available than many other places, too. 
No, Mark, another problem is everything is online in pictures. And for a blind person, you know, we used to buy things. You have mm -hmm. to touch them, see them, test them. That's gone. Mm -hmm. Virtually gone. It's really rough. You know, I wish I had more time to speak to you off air. Because well, call me next week. I'm here, Alan. It's a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. I very much enjoyed it. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. Those of you who are in the area, love to see you, greet you, meet you, salute you, wave to you. Um, and uh, Sunday, of course, Life, Liberty, and Levin. That should be on your permanent calendar, you know. 8 p.m. Eastern and all other times throughout America and the world. Uh, and I hope you'll set your DVR for that time, uh, just in case there's an occasion which you can't, when you can't watch it live. Speaking of fascinating, Ray Charles in America every Friday in your honor. Here we go.
wonderful weekend, America. The week is officially over. The weekend begins now. I'll see you on Sunday, 8 p.m. on Fox. Love to see you there. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, our truckers, the freedom fighters in Taiwan and Ukraine. God bless you. Good night, Spritey. Good night, Griffey. Good night, Pepsi. Good night, Smokey. Good night, Zelda. Good night, Gigi. Good night, Indy. Good night, Patton. Good night, Rory. The list is so long. Good night, my Barney. Good night, Marty. My Marty. Good night, Dad. Good night, Mom. Good night, Leo. And good night, Joe. And good night, America. God bless each and every one of you. Be safe this weekend. I'll see you Sunday. And God bless.